family, it's wonderful to be with you, particularly to our guests this morning. Very welcome. We hope you have a, a great time and an encounter with, with our Lord Jesus Christ. To all of you who've been with us for a while, it's great to have you as well. What a beautiful morning it is, and um, so good to know God, and so good to be part of this family, and um, everything that God has been doing in this family and through this family for so many so many years, and I hope that there's something through this series and uh, the message that I have for you this morning that will really like move you and take you to just a, a new place in your relationship and your walk with, with God. Um, it's uh, quite long ago, um, as Donnie talks about, you know, everything that's happened in, in almost two decades, I suppose, um, uh, just thinking back, so many great times that, that we've had as part of this family. Um, mine is a story with this family started about 15 years ago when um, uh, we had been saved for about five years and part of a wonderful church in the city. And um, really feeling that God move, uh, was moving us somewhere um, which aligned with something that we felt in our hearts and which we had felt from the moment that we gave our lives to Jesus. And I'm not going to go into my background, my story. Many of you have, have heard it, um, the destructive nature of it, the pain of it, the just terrible person I was. And the 30th of January 2001, Jesus just miraculously took me out of that mess that I was, and he put my feet on a rock. And uh, the person that discipled me, he asked me a great question that night. He led me to Jesus. He said to me, Etienne, you're going to go away for a week, and you're going to think, and you're going to pray, and you're going to ask yourself this question, what is the cost of following Jesus? And are you willing to pay that cost? And I'm forever grateful for that question that he, that he asked me. And, um, yeah, we just felt from the beginning that, that God had a specific mission for Ilza and I, um, because of the way that he saved us, we wanted that for our family and our friends and, and those that we haven't even gotten to know yet. And um, we, in a wonderful way, got joined to this family about, as I say, about 15 years ago. And um, what really got us was the mission that every nation as a family was on. And there was something in that mission that spoke to our hearts and that we felt that we had to align our lives with and which has really been a beautiful story in our lives and lives of other people, not always um, successful, if I can call it that. It's not like it was perfect, and it, it's not like it is perfect in any way. We make terrible mistakes. We sometimes sort of deviate from the path that, that God has set out for us, but we've been really so honored to be part of this. And um, it was in a morning like this. Um, about 13 years ago, um, when there was a call made, similar to the one that Donnie made to you this morning, that um, to come and serve in this family. Um, and specifically when they had somebody in the front talking about the hosting team, that I felt that, you know, that sounds great, you know, um, standing at the door, greeting people, handing out chocolates and so on, sounds like something I can do, doesn't sound like too... Uh, much hard work and so on, just basically stand there, be friendly, say hello, meet a few new people, um, try and get to know people's names, which all of you will know I'm terrible at, so maybe I'll get better with that in the process. And um, I signed up and that next week we were supposed to be an hour before church started, which made complete sense to me. 
that I had to be an hour before because obviously I was going to be taught, you know, how this hosting thing works. Obviously, a very important job in the church plays a big role. You know, obviously, there's a lot of detail there that I don't get. It looks much simpler than it really is, and they're going to tell me how to do this and how to remember people's names and so on. Um, yeah, so I arrived there, and I found out that we were a team of three. Um, sounds fine. There are four doors between the three of us. We would probably manage that and handing out some sweets and stuff. Um, but it was Umarius back then. And um, was, any of you who knows Umarius, he's the best host. He doesn't even have to be an official host, and he's just the best at the job. You know, he knows everybody's names and makes everybody feel welcome. Probably the result of many people coming back to to church. I see a lot of smiles and, and nods. I just know them. In any event, I digress. And um, there wasn't much training involved. But what stood out is that I was given a duster, like a, like a plastic handle with, a, with this dust. And back then we had these uh, black chairs that were covered with a red cloth, um, quite cheap and ugly. Um, but the worst thing about it is if it's used in a school is that kids walk on them and they become all dusty and so on. And so what the hosting team had to do every morning an hour before church is we had to dust those chairs, every single chair we had to dust them. And I can just remember how I hated it because I've, I get hay fever from dust. <laughs> so it's just the worst job to give me. And um, I can just remember, you know, in my heart how something went wrong, where I had thought that I had signed up, you know, to play this, what I thought was a great role, and then I was told that it was something completely um, different, or it involved a lot more. I can just remember, you know, hating it, because it's not only the dust and the fact that it gave me hay fever, you know, that material has the 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 nature forced everything to cling to it like hair so you would brush the hair you know and try and get it off and it would just like move a little but eventually you had to take the end and took it off <laughs> which is kind of gross but I just hated it but but through that God came and did something in in my heart and showed me something about myself about this attitude you know coming out to a church which I felt had a mission that I was aligned with and that I wanted God to do something, accomplish something through my life, you know, but that there was so much more involved in making all of this work and that he came and he demonstrated to me that I wasn't necessarily always willing to do what it takes to advance his kingdom and to do what he was calling me to do. And really through that whole process of having to do that and cleaning chairs, you know, moved me to a place where I realized that that chair that I was cleaning was really important because a person that God deeply cared and loved about was going to come and sit in that chair. And it got to a point where I was no longer just cleaning chairs, but I was praying for chairs and praying for people that were sitting on the, those chairs, not knowing who it was going to be. And it changed and it opened my eyes to God's people. And I mean, I can, I can still remember, I think I said the other day, I can remember the first day Fred and Kate were here. They were sitting over there on those two, two chairs. They hadn't been long in church and they, they, they moved to Willows. But I remember that because I focused on what those chairs were and the people that were in those chairs. And what, uh, put you on a bit of a spot, Maria and Armand Marie sitting there in the, in the back. I can remember when they first came to church and they sat down over there and I met them morning. And um, 
sorry, Millie, but I'm going to have to say this. And as the service, we always invite people to stay for coffee. But as the service finished, you know, they were still checking out churches. And they sort of ducked out that door out there and they started to walk. And I don't know if Millie will even remember this. And I went after them and I said to them, listen, come and have coffee. Sit in there and chat to them. And so, and it's not because I was great. It's not because there was something special about me or anything. But it's because something about what God did in my life through serving in a way that I wasn't, wouldn't have necessarily been willing to serve. And it made me realize the value of us serving and us contributing in a way that doesn't necessarily look awesome and look great, but it's because God calls on us to build something that's greater than ourselves. And it doesn't matter who you are and where you're involved in, in church or in this world or whatever the case may be, but all of us are busy building something. We're building something. The question is, is that what is it that we are building? What is it that you and your family are building? What is it that you and your business is building? What is it that you are building in your free time when you spend time with people that you love but don't necessarily love yet? And that thing that we are building, is it something that has meaning? And is it something that will last? This is an important question to ask ourselves this morning. And what I also experience through having to clean chairs was I was tested in my motivation to why I wanted to build and what I was willing to do to align myself with something that was much greater than I was and the role that I had to had to play. And that's why it's so important, this series that we are busy with and walking through the book of Nehemiah and looking at the way that God builds, but not only the way that God builds, but as Donnie explained last week, how he uses us as people to build. And what a privilege it is to be serving this holy God that can do anything and can do everything and who loves us so much and cares about us and saves us. Not only the day that we decide to give our lives to him, but every day he saves us from ourselves and he saves us from our brokenness and the mistakes that we make. And he uses us not only to change our circumstances, but to change this world. And that's something amazing to be part of. It's such a privilege to be some part of something like that. And that's why it's so important that we stand still this morning and continue this journey of how God builds and how he uses us as his people to build. And we're going to continue. We're going to look at some scriptures in Nehemiah 1 verse one and two, I'm going to jump around a bit from one scripture to the other because it's really too long for me to read the whole whole part. I'm going to read some of it, and then we're going to stand still at some of these scriptures as we continue on this journey through um, in Nehemiah with God. Um, but before that, I just need to give you some of the context, and it's really important, you know, because if we think about Nehemiah and we think about the building of the wall, it's so easy that we can become stuck in sort of the story in isolation and about being about the building of a wall, but it's part of a so much greater story, a rescue story that culminates in the cross. And we need to understand where this whole fits in, all of this fits in. And it really starts with the story and the relationship that God had with this nation Israel. And it starts with this God bringing this nation Israel out of Egypt 
and he brings them to this promised land and he sets them free from slavery and he slavery and he gives us them this amazing land called Canaan Canaan and this this land has everything that they need and so much more and you really get the sense that they don't deserve it but God gives it to them because he loves them and what we immediately see the moment that people are brought into this land they immediately start sinning and it's not necessarily so much in the rules that they don't comply with but really because of their rebellion towards God and because of them turning away from a savior from them rejecting a savior and walking away and we see how God through his mercy and his kindness he keeps bringing them back to him and it's really a, a, a thing that escalates and escalates where initially because God has these people who reject him and turn away from him. He says to them, but don't do that. If you're going to do that, you're going to have to bear the consequences. And what starts happening is that initially they just raided. They raided by other nations. Other nations come and they take what's theirs, and they just make life a little difficult for them and so on. But still, the nation, they will turn back to God, but then at the moment they turn back to him, they turn away from him again. And God will allow this to happen again, and it will go through this cycle, but then it starts escalating. Then the people would start getting diseases. Now they would start to be conquered by the people. They would be hurt by the people. And God eventually said that, you know, if you don't turn to me, if you don't follow me, if you don't have a relationship with me and love me in the way that I love you, what I'm eventually going to do is I'm going to take you out of this land that I've given to you. And that's really what happens is, is that there are then two times in the Bible, first a part of the nation, then another part of the nation, that God, through exile, takes them out of the nation that they've been given, out of this land that they've been given, and they are sent into exile, and they have to go live amongst other people. So everything that they were given was taken away from them. And not only that, their land was taken over by other people. And their land was destroyed by these other people who did not attach the same value to that, in particular the city Jerusalem, which was the holy city. And so it happened that the temple was destroyed, and it happened that the, the, the walls of Jerusalem, which really was the security of Jerusalem, which really made the people safe and gave them identity and gave them something to build, was torn down. And it is at this point... 500 years before Jesus came, when Nehemiah enters the picture. And Nehemiah is living in exile together with all the other Jews. And he is a cupbearer working for the king. And that's where we start this story. And we start reading from Nehemiah 1, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, 
O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now, now pray before you day and night to the people of Israel, your servants. Right, now skip to Nehemiah 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the year of King Artaxerxes, when none when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, and the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing as you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid, and I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king said to me, what are you requesting? And so I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight that you sent me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild. And then he continues to tell the king what he needs. And then in verse 8, at the end it says, and the king granted me what I asked for. The good hand of my God was upon me. And then then tells a story about he then goes and he scouts the mission he goes to Jerusalem and he sees how everything is destroyed and what happens to him and what the king does to help him. And then from verse 17, it says, And then I said to them, this is now the other people, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burnt. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. Father God, thank you that um, we can read your word today, that we can hear your words today. And we pray, Father, that you come and let your words speak to our hearts, Father. And there where we have to change and align ourselves with your will and your plans for us, help us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So what I want to talk to you about is really four things that, that we can learn from this part of Nehemiah, but more importantly, four questions that this asks of each one of us. And so the first thing that we see, if we look at from verses um, uh, chapter 1 from verse 1 to 4, is that Nehemiah hears this news, and there's something that happens to him. It says, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The walls of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. And then verse 4, it says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. You see, it is from this part that we see that Nehemiah hears something. And what he hears really strikes him to the heart. He hears not only of broken walls. He doesn't only hear a story of broken infrastructure. What he hears is a something, an account of people that are suffering because of it. And that breaks his heart. 
And it breaks his heart to the extent that it says that he then weeps and he mourns for days. In fact, if we list at, we read a bit further, we see that he actually wept and mourned for months because of what he had heard. And when I read, read this, I, I was remem- reminded of the, the shortest verse in, in, in the Bible. And uh, Kate preached the other day about Lazarus. It said that when Lazarus saw the people, uh, when Jesus saw the people, it says, Jesus wept. He saw the people and Jesus wept. So the qu- first question that I have for you this morning is, what is it that breaks your heart? What is it that breaks your heart? What are the things that you see around you and that you're experiencing, that you hear of, that breaks your heart? Because if I look at the life of Jesus and I look at what Nehemiah says, that that really when it comes to God, it's, it's what happens to people that breaks their heart. I don't know about you, but very often the things that break my heart are the things that happens to me, the things that affect my life, the things that makes my life difficult. Those are the things that keep my head busy, that keep my heart busy, that direct my thoughts and my actions in a particular way. I don't, I don't want to give you the answer this morning least not yet. But the question I want to leave you is, what breaks your heart? And more importantly, who breaks your heart? We then continue on going on and, and we ask ourselves, well, this breaking of the heart, the fact that Nehemiah's heart is broken, what, what does this cause in him? How does, how does he react to this? And we read from verse 4 again, and it says, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and listen to this, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You see, initially when Nehemiah hears about this, and he weeps and he cries and mourns about this, what he then immediately does is that he prays and he fasts. He immediately turns to God. And that's not the only thing that he does. It's not only that he prays. Because he goes on and it says, Praise to God of heaven. And then in verse 4 of chapter 2 it says, And then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I pray to the God of heaven. You see there again? Something happens. What is his reaction? He prays. But it doesn't only stay with prayer. It goes on and it says, it says, And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's grave, that I may rebuild it. And so the second question that I have for you this morning is, What is your reaction to what breaks your heart? 
this plan, now that he's got this mission that God wants him to go on, now that he's got this passion and now that he has reacted in a particular way, he surrounds himself with other people and listen to the language that he's using. He's no longer saying, I, me. He's saying, look at what has happened to us. Do you see the situation that we are in? Do you see what's going on around us? Let us do something about it. And the next question, the third question that I have for you today is, is who are you in a mission with? Who are you joining in a mission with? Or is the mission that you are on, is it just your mission? Is it the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I? Or have you joined other people in a mission? You know, I thought about it, and you may tell me, maybe there are some exceptions, I don't know, but if I look at the whole Bible, and if I look at every time God wanted to build something of importance, every time he wanted to do something of importance, he chose a person, he chose a leader, he chose somebody, he gave him a heart and a mission that he wanted it, but he always used community. He always used more people. He always used a team. And the question that you are being asked today is, are you in a team? Because even as followers of Jesus Christ, we can become so individualistic. You know, it can so easily become some mission that we are involved in, something that we are building. And we actually, if we really think about it carefully, it's about God's mission as we understand it. But more than that, it becomes about how God's mission can serve me. So the question here I have for you this morning is, who are you joining on a mission? Who's joining a mission that you are? And then the fourth thing that I want to talk to you about is in verse 18. You would think that now he has now gone, he's seen what's necessary, he's obviously got a plan in his head, Nehemiah, and he obviously needs to now that he's got these people together and he's got this plan, he needs to share this plan with them, right? To get them to join him. Because they obviously want to look at the merit and the demerit of this plan, these chances of success, whether they're really going to buy into this mission because they have now got a like 10 point plan of exactly what's going to be required of them. You would think that, don't you? Is that what happens? No, that's not what happens. What happens following verse 18, it says, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also that the words that the king had spoken to me, and they said, listen to their reaction, let us rise up and build. And so they strengthened their hands for the good work. You see that Nehemiah doesn't tell them what's coming. He doesn't tell them what it's going to take. He doesn't tell them what the plan is. He doesn't show them the drawings. He doesn't give them the 10-point plan. What he does is, is that he reminds them of what God has done. He shows them how God's hand has already been in what has happened. He testifies of the goodness of God in his life. And coming to a realization knowing who this God is, hearing about what he's done, the people say, come, let us do it. 
We don't care about what exactly it's going to take. We're in because we're buying into a mission that is God's mission. Not your mission, Nehemiah. Not your plan, Nehemiah. This is God's mission. And it is His plan that we're buying into. And so the last question I have for you this morning is, whose mission are you on? Whose mission are you on? As I said in the beginning, we are all cars. We're all busy building something. And what I'm asking you this morning is, is the mission that you are on, is the building that you are busy building, is it your building or is it God's building? If you listen to Donnie and how he explained earlier today how this how this family in Pretoria started. What he didn't say was is the fact that seven people came from Stellenbosch and they came on God's mission. And that's how it started. And moved from a house to an office building, to another office building, into this school hall. Started something which really looked impossible. Started this church based on a mission to see that the world would change, that every person in every nation will come to know the name of Jesus. And you hear the stories of the goodness of God and what He has done through those people and every other person that came and served and played a role in this church so that it's no longer just us in these four walls, but so many other families just like us all over the city and in this country and even in Africa. And the role that we play in serving others also goes much wider than this from Asia and Europe into the rest of the world. Do you realize that this is part of God's plan and God's mission? And are you part of that mission and building something greater than yourself and building something that God has called you to? You see, there's so much, you know, if we... If we look at the story of Nehemiah and this building of a wall, we can so easily think that this is about building a wall, building a structure, building, you know, a physical thing. But this is about God building his kingdom and advancing his kingdom and him playing, seeing his whole plan, the plan that he had from the beginning to play out in this world, in our lives, and he's involving me and you in this plan. And this little story that we have about Nehemiah is really a much bigger story that you and I are involved in. And to understand that, I have to tell you that the story of Nehemiah does not have a happy ending. It does not. If you don't believe me, I invite you to go to Jerusalem today and go and find this wall. Go and find it. It's no longer there. The part of the wall that's not, that is there today is not the wall that they built. It's a wall that was built by somebody completely different a few centuries ago. Because even this wall that they built were destroyed. And the sadder part about the story is, is that only about 2.5%, about 50,000 Jews went back and lived in that city 
And the worst part about that is they had barely gone back and they turned back to their own old ways, rejecting God, pushing him away worse than ever and to such an extent that for 500 years, God did not speak to them. And then suddenly, after 500 years, as part of this amazing plan that God had, Jesus came into this world because God had not given up on his people. Jesus came into this world and made himself part of that pain, of that story of rejection, of destruction, because God was building something. You read this amazing scripture in Ephesians Ephesians 2, 19 to 20, and it says this, and this is speaking to you this morning. It says, and so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, the, the building that God is building involves you. It involves each one of us. It didn't stop with the wall that was built by Nehemiah. That was just a small part in the story where God was showing us how he uses us as people, but that he was going to continue playing out this plan that he had for the people and showing you that you are a part of the wall that he is building. And part of the story that he is telling us, he says that if it was only about you, if it was only about what you can build and who you are as part of this building, what it will lead to is destruction. But he says, yes, the answer is, is that you have to build on Jesus Christ because he is the cornerstone. There's this definition of cornerstone that I found a few years ago, which I think is amazing. It says, the cornerstone is the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation. Listen to this. All other stones will be set in reference to this stone, thus determining the position of the entire structure. Thus determining the position of the entire structure. So that is really what this is about, is, is that are you part of a mission? What is it that breaks your heart? What breaks, what should break your heart is what broke Jesus' heart, and that's people, people that are lost. And what should your reaction be? Your reaction to that breaking your heart should be for you to return to God and for you to say, but use me, God. And you should join others who have the same mission and calling, want to build the same thing as you. And you have to realize that this is really God's mission. And the way that he builds is to set each one of us in a particular place, in time, in history, in serving with your talents, your gifts, and your resources, so that he builds a beautiful structure that gives glory to him and to him alone. 
And there's a particular way that he calls us to do it. And the way that he calls us to do it is to do it like Jesus does. And he says the following in Philippians 2, verse 5 to 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so the way that you and I are called to build what God is building is through self-sacrifice, through us serving in the same way that Jesus sacrificed himself, in the same way that Jesus served us. Father God, thank you that you are using us to build. That you use our time, our resources, our talents, Father, to be part of this great mission that you have, this building that you are building, a church, a people, a bride to Jesus. I thank you that you involve each one of us, that you not only use our time, our resources, our talents, but that you say that we, each one, each one of us forms an integral part of what you are building, like a brick being set to this amazing cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. And this morning, Jesus, we, we come in our hearts, Father, we come and align ourselves to you as the chief cornerstone. And we know that sitting here, we don't always necessarily know exactly what that means and how it's going to look in our lives going forward, but we know what you have done and who you are, and we choose to align ourselves with you and your plan for this world. And whatever may come, may that be, as long as we can follow you and serve you and help you in whatever little way we can to advance your kingdom. Pray then in Jesus' name. Amen.